Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Good? We good? No, that was terrible. I'm going to give you one more chance. How are we doing? We good? Listen, I got, uh, I got enough energy for all of us. I've had like 19 cups of coffee today, so... Uh, I'm, I'm glad you're here. I'm thankful you're here. For those that are watching online, welcome to you as well. Hey, there we go. And, uh, but we're glad that you're here today. We're glad that you chose to spend part of your Sunday with us here at Generations Church. And there's a bunch of things going on. I'm not going to hit all of them. You already heard them. There's no reason for me to repeat all of them. But if you do have a middle school or high school, you need to get them here tonight. They're going to have a blast. Uh, but you also heard uh, just a few minutes ago about G Group's launch. So we do put a lot of emphasis in launching our groups every semester, so August and January, uh, to give you an opportunity to jump into community with other people. And so today, you can pick up one of these uh, G Group guides that shows you all of the groups on the back. There's actually a little QR code at the bottom. You can use that to join a group, to sign up for a group online. But it has some information about all the groups. It tells you when they meet. It tells you a little bit about where they meet as far as just the area. It doesn't give you the address, uh, but you've got to join the group to find that out. So you can't just kind of roll up there. But uh, we want you to join a group. We, We are kind of in our hearts aspirationally not just a church with some groups. We, we want to be a church of groups, that you're gathering on Sunday just with your group and all the various groups come together on Sundays because uh, ultimately we believe that life is better together. And so we want you to be in a group. We have a ton of groups this semester. We've got several new groups. It's a great time for you to jump into relationship. And I, and I always say the same thing. So now it's, you know, for some people, they realized why somebody left their group. But just join a group. And if you don't like it, we'll tell them the night of the week didn't work for you. Like if you don't like those people, like they're just mean and you didn't think they were great, um, we'll just tell them, oh, yeah, they're allergic to shellfish. And y'all had shellfish. And like we'll just come up with some reason that you couldn't be in there. But just give it a try. Just see what happens. Uh, we believe you're going to find some great friends and great relationships. In there. There's a couple groups that I want to just specifically point out that are, are new this semester. We're offering uh, a group called Grief Share. Now, when you hear that, maybe you think something very specific, but if you were a part of our church back at Easter, we did our annual Easter survey and we asked you to kind of check the box next to uh, one of the top two or three stressors in your life, those things that added the most stress in your life. And one of those options was grief. And of the hundreds of people that filled out a survey, 26% of people said that grief was one of the top stressors in their life. And as we were looking at this fall, offering something to try to uh, be more effective in ministering and caring for people, uh, we wanted to offer Grief Share to you as not just our church congregation, but those in the community. And we haven't even really opened up signups yet. Like we've kind of started, but we already have 11 people in Grief Share. And I think the report I got yesterday was like seven or eight of them are not even from our church. They're just in our community through word of mouth or something else. But if you you are in the midst of or have experienced grief in some way that you just don't know if you've ever really processed that in a healthy way, uh, it can be the loss of a loved one. It can be a lot of other things. It could be loss of of a relationship and there's a tearing of your heart and it could be loss of a job, maybe a long term job, something there that you just feel like, man, I'm grieving that, or I have been grieving that, and I'm not really sure if I processed that, we'd love for you to consider Grief Share. Uh, We're excited about what could happen this semester in Grief Share as the Lord really does a healing work there. And then another thing that we're launching this semester is a new ministry and a new group uh, to young adults. 
So young adults is always a, a unique spot in a, in a church demographic because it's like, okay, you got some that are 21 and married with nine kids, and then you've got others that are 27 still living at home in their mom's basement. So like, you just don't know where that lands. And there's no judgment if you're either one of those two things, but it's like, we just don't know. So kind of our sweet spot for young adults is 18 to 25-ish. So if you're just kind of post high school and you feel like I'm a young adult, I'm in that age group, we'd love for you to jump into our young adults group uh, and if there's a lot of information that you can get as you look to do that. There's tons of other group options for you this semester. Men's groups, women's groups, a prayer group, some activity groups. Uh, we want you to consider groups. It, it, we want you to help find community for your life through this local church. We believe it's important for you to do that. And then the last thing I'll say is Sunday fun days next week. You need to get here. You need to get some people here with you. Um, we're going to throw some axes. I just found out on the video that I'm in a dunk tank next week. So that's awesome. And uh, so that's super exciting. But I've seen some of you throw, so I'm safe. I'll be dry. It'll be fine. Um, but uh, it'll be, I think I'm going to do it between services. So I, I don't even have to change clothes. I'll be great. It'll be no problem at all. But uh, we want you to be here next week for Sunday Fun Day. Hey, today we're kicking off a brand new series called Object Lessons. Everybody say Object Lessons. I, I'm, I'm kind of one of those people that I learn a lot of different ways. Like I learn through reading, I learn through hearing, uh, I learn through seeing, but there is something special when you put something in my hand. When, when you allow me to hold it and twist the knob off of it and kind of figure out, like I, I tend to, my brain tends to connect the dots in ways that they don't when I'm just seeing it, hearing it, or whatever. And, and so when we were looking at this series, and this, this honestly, this goes back to last September or October, I think we met together, uh, and we were looking at what the Lord would have us to preach and teach over this year. And we, we set a, a plan, we changed that plan regularly as we feel the Lord leading us to do so. But this is one that kind of landed on the calendar, and it stayed there, because this was something that I was excited about a year ago. But I think over the next four weeks, if you will allow it, the Lord could use these four weeks to really help you and help me to cement some truths in our heart that maybe we've been wrestling with for a long time. Some questions that you've been asking that you think you know the answer to, but you just aren't sure, like, how do I really hold on to that truth on like a day-to-day -day basis and not just like every few Sundays? Uh, how do I really live in the midst of those realities and those truths every single day, every single moment, every single circumstance? I really believe this series has that potential. And so each of the four weeks when you leave, you're going to be given an object. And that object connects to what we talked about that Sunday. And you can take it home and you know, put it on you know, the, the kitchen counter. You can put it in your bathroom there. You can put it on your dresser. You can you know, put it on the dash of your car, whatever it is that you need to do to keep that in front of you so that at least for the next seven days after that Sunday, you've got something to refer back to. And that maybe on a Wednesday or Thursday, you're thinking about, you're applying to your life, you're being challenged as you pray about what we heard on Sunday. So we're going to do that each of these four weeks. Now, everybody raise your right hand. Raise your right hand. You're not under arrest, but just, just repeat after me. Pastor Jeremy, I promise I will not miss a week the next four weeks. Okay, see, you just said it. You said it. You said it. You said it, that you're on the hook. The Holy Spirit will convict you if you wake up on a Sunday morning and be like, man, it's raining, and man, I gotta go somewhere. No, you gotta be here, you gotta be here, but I, you know, that's between you and the Lord. I just set the stage. Um, today, we're looking at a story that I think helps lay the foundation, no pun intended once you see where we're going, lay the foundation for everything else we're gonna talk about all month long. This story is something we actually were singing about just a few minutes ago. We actually were just talking about it 
as I came and took the stage a few minutes ago, because this sets the stage, it lays the foundation for all of our lives as it relates to how we live every single day. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to go with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Chapter 7 would obviously be the seventh chapter of that first book of the New Testament. If you don't have a printed Bible, you can go to an app there. I'd love for you to take, take your own uh, text out, your own Bible in some form, so you can make some notes or highlight some things there in the app. We're beginning to read in verse 24 where it says this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash." Now, you've got two groups of people that are outlined here in this story. You've got the wise and you've got the foolish. Now, if you would like to be called in your life foolish, raise your hand. Probably nobody in the room. Like, even if you're thinking it, you're like, I'm not going to raise my hand. That'd be foolish, right? So some of you will get that on the way home. That's all right. So there's two groups of people here. There's the wise and the foolish. Now, I love the fact that throughout Scripture, these are places and ways that the Lord uses to help us to understand just some different choices that we can make in our life. The phrase, like a foolish man, or the foolish, is used more than 30 times in the New Testament. When you look at the Old Testament and really look at the book of Proverbs, because foolishness, or being a fool, is used in the book of Proverbs a a ton of times. If you put all the Old Testament, New Testament, including the book of Proverbs, it's 250 times that the idea of being a fool or being foolish is used as the unwise way of living. So it's like we want to be wise, but the opposite could be true. You could be unwise, but instead of saying you're unwise, the Bible calls you being foolish or living like a fool man. So 250 times we see this idea spelled out. Now, maybe being called a fool isn't all that bad to you. Maybe wearing that label wouldn't be that awful. But in the context of the story, I want you to think about what's being described here. Now, I don't know if you like the beach, right? Our family, we enjoy the beach, except for one of my sons. I'm not going to say his name, but it rhymes with Cooper. Uh, they don't, he doesn't love the beach. He says it's a lot of work to get all your stuff down to the beach to get sand all over you. He just doesn't love it, right? And some of you are in that camp. But when you go to the beach, like especially when you have young kids, you end up playing some games, right? You end up, oh, I'm going to bury you in the sand. Oh, we're going we're gonna to build sand castles. Oh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend eight hours running down to the ocean and getting water and pouring it into a hole only to watch it disappear. But this is so fun. We're going to keep doing that over and over and over and over and over and over again. But if you've ever built a sandcastle, even if you hadn't, you know, you know what they look like. You take these plastic things and you fill them with sand and you put some form, some right formula of water and sand in them so that when you turn them over and dump them out and hit the top, you pull it up and whatever shape that bucket was, that's what's left there in the sand. And it's awesome. I mean, you can build some amazing castles and homes and blobs of stuff. It's awesome to look at those things until what? Until the waves come up. At some point during that day, the waves are going to get to where you are and they're going to wash over that sandcastle and it will disappear. It doesn't matter how hard you worked. It doesn't matter how long it took you. It doesn't matter how immaculate it looks in the midst of the sand. It's going to go away. Now, I want you to think about what we just read in this passage of scripture. 
none of us would build our homes in the form of, on the foundation of, sandcastles. I mean, it doesn't matter how pretty it is. It doesn't matter how immaculate you can make the outside look. And you, you draw, you've got the little thing, like some of you, your type A, your Enneagram ones or whatever, like you're drawing things like on there and you got windows and doors and all that. You got a moat and like you figured out how to make water stay in the sand. It's like there's a moat there and it's beautiful until the water comes and washes over all of what you've constructed. And what Jesus is saying to us here in Matthew chapter seven is none of us would actually build our lives, build our homes as a sand, you wouldn't try to live in a sandcastle. You wouldn't try to live in a house constructed on the foundation of sand. Why? Because it's going to fall. It's not going to be able to endure. So what does the wise man do? If that's what a foolish man does, what does a wise man do? A wise man builds his house constructed on the rock. He constructs it of a material, a substance. So don't just think foundationally, but of the substance of something that will withstand the winds and the waves and the waters that rise. All of these things that we just read. When it comes against that house, it's going to stand. This is the two realities of what we see in this one scripture. The idea here of being foolish in some translations is also translated as godless. And so it's not just saying like, hey, I don't know how to build. I'm not a builder. I don't know what I'm doing. It's also saying like, hey, when I construct my life, when I try to determine how I'm going to live day after day after day, am I living a godless, foolish life or am I living a godly life? And you say, well, I've been in the church a long time. That doesn't matter. You say, well, I'm in a group for these purposes right now. That doesn't matter. You say, well, I serve, I give. That doesn't matter. You say, well, I've read a bunch of the Bible. That doesn't matter. Am I living in such a way that my life is actually constructed on the rock, the foundation that will withstand? Years ago, Pastor Craig Rochelle, who pastors Life Church out in Oklahoma City, and they have a number of campuses around the country, he wrote a book called The Christian Atheist. And that title, kind of eye-catching, right? I mean, whoo, Christian atheist. I don't really know how those two things go together. And what he said was, it's the kind of people who claim to love God, but live day after day as if he doesn't exist. They, they, they know who God is. They know what God says about himself. But when it actually comes to living our daily lives, we live in such a way as if God is separate from who we are and what we do and how we construct the various pieces of our lives. And so what I want to do today is I want to give you some defining values, some thoughts of what it would look like. What are some of those things that are kind of sandcastle homes? What are those things that we construct our lives on? I'd love for you to jot some of these down because I think that some of them are, are maybe things that you would go, yeah, that's, that's me. Like I don't I don't know that I would have defined it that way before I walked in, but yeah, that's, that's true. I, I think I've got some sandcastle foundation in my heart and in my spiritual life. The first of them is this, worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom. Now, when I say that, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I've told you guys, I grew up in church. When I say that, I feel like I sound like the biggest old curmudgeon ever. And I don't mean it that way. But when I say the words worldly wisdom, I mean a lot of different things. I mean, whatever it is that we are conditioned and convinced in this world that will cause us to find that stability and success. And so what happens is none of what I'm about to use as, as examples are evil and bad on their own. None of them. 
that, that I know of. And yet, when we take them and build our lives upon them and they become the foundation of who we are, and everything that we have kind of reverts back to, this is how I find stability and peace, and this is how I get ahead, and this is what I do. And like, that's when they become issues because they're no longer just pieces of our lives. They are the foundation of our lives. Here are a few examples. Hard work. I think you should work hard. I try to work hard in my life. If I'm going to do something, I'm going to try to do it well. But if hard work is this foundational piece, it's what your life is built upon. It's where you put your faith that you can eventually work yourself out of whatever problem you're in. You can eventually work yourself into whatever success you're seeking. I would say to you that when the storms come and maybe you get sick and you're laid up for a few days or a few weeks and you can't work anymore, there's something else that causes that reality not to be a reality for you anymore. You realize that that's a sandcastle. Like we should work hard because Christ says that that actually tells the world that we're followers. We're, we're showing by example who we are and we work hard in response to who he is and what he's done, not to get more approval from him. Hard work and a good work ethic are great things that we should have, but not as the foundation of our life. Not what we lean into when the storms of life come. I'll just keep working. I'll just put my head down and I'll just work harder. I know. Yeah. Siri was seeing something there. The other, the other thought here is education. I, I believe in education. I, I am educated. I've got an undergraduate degree. I got a master's degree. I, I want to get a PhD. But when I finished my master's, our kids were young, and Corey was like, can you just wait? Could we just wait just a little longer? And so at some point, I want to get a PhD. But if education is the foundational piece, the truth of your life, it is what you go back to when storms come. It's where, where you go back to and all the things that you've learned and all the things that you've experienced. Like if that's what you revert back to, it is a sandcastle. It is something that will fall away when you have to really find peace and truth in your life. Human effort of all kinds, no matter what that looks like in the examples we've already given or others. Because here's what we know, and we're going to get to this, but we'll allude to this in every one of these sandcastles. We are transformed not by our own effort, but we are transformed by the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And our lives are lived in response to his transformation effort in us. And if human effort or education or hard work or anything else that is worldly wisdom of the things that you should do is the foundational piece of your life and your peace and your strength and your success, that is, by definition, as it relates to faith, self-righteousness. Because what it means is that you are negating the work of Jesus Christ who provides for our righteousness. And you are saying, my righteousness, my right standing before God is through my own efforts, I don't need Jesus and I don't need the cross, even if I sing about him on Sundays. I just need to keep working hard, keep seeking more knowledge, keep seeking more wisdom, put my head down. It's all about my effort. That is a sandcastle in our lives. The second thing that I see are idols. Idols. These are sandcastles. Throughout the Old Testament, but it's not just contained there, but throughout the Old Testament, we read about idols a lot. The people of God would come up against an enemy and you see in one or two examples where they steal the idols of the, uh, of the enemy and they bring them back to their camp. And in one specific instance, right after, you know, kind of right where they're going for Jericho there, like you see that they're sinning the camp because they brought an idol back into their camp and they stole some of the plunder and some of the things and they kept them for themselves. These were gold and silver and wooden graven images that were created in the image of some god. 
We see when the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament was stolen from the people of God, it was taken to one of the Philistine temples and it was placed next to an idol, the the god Dagon in their temple. But what happened that night is that the power of God through the Ark of the Covenant, when they came in the next morning to kind of see what was going on, Dagon was laying face down before the Ark of the Covenant. And it's like, oh, well, something happened, the wind blew, the earth tremored, they, they hoist Dagon back up and stand him up next to the Ark of the Covenant. The next day when they come back in, not only is Dagon laying face down before the Ark of the Covenant, his hands have been chopped off and his head's been chopped off. It's like there is no idol that can stand before the holiness of God. And when we look at the Old Testament, it's like, well, I don't have any graven images in my house. I don't have any golden statues and silver statues and wooden statues. I don't have any idols there But do we? What are those things that we give our time and affection to? What are those things that we give our heart to? What are those things that consume our minds and our worship? Our adoration is pointed to these idols that we've constructed in our lives. It can be a lot of different things. I don't want to get into very many specifics because you probably know right now, I believe, if you've got some of those idols in your life because they've been constructed. You know where it lands with you. But what are the things that we've constructed in our lives and they get our worship, they get our affection, they get our time, they get our attention, and we've constructed them, they live in our homes. They live day to day with us right beside what we claim to be the object of our worship. Idols, they're sandcastles. Because here's what we know when the storms come and the water dries, those things will not save us. Here's the third thing, money. Money's referenced in the Bible over 800 times, and it's not always a negative thing. A lot of times, it's a very positive thing. Why? Because God owns it all. God owns it all. And God always provides provision for his vision. If it's his vision, he will provide for it. Where God guides, he provides. That's what we see time and time and time again in Scripture. Money is not evil. The love of money is evil. You can't serve two masters, God and money. But when we start to think about money in this instance, we recognize that for some of us, money is our sandcastle foundation. We are convinced that if we put enough money in savings or enough money in the bank, or if we're as wise as we possibly can, and all of those things are good things, please don't hear what I'm not saying. You should be wise with money because it honors God, provides security. Those are great things. But if that is your foundation, it is a sandcastle. Because there will come a day, and we can read about it later in the book, we can try to articulate and understand what all of the various pieces of Scripture mean as it talks about what is to come before us, but the money you have won't count for anything. The money that you have won't count for near as much as you think it counts for. In all of the various economies of the world, money is fleeting, and it changes value literally every day. And so if that is the foundation of your life, it will wash away. One of my favorite stories out of this idea in money is found in Mark chapter 10. It's a story of the rich young ruler. Young rich man walks up to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what have, what have you heard? He said, well, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. I've kept all the commandments. It's like all these things. I've done all these things. And Jesus says, hey, that's great. Now go and sell all your possessions and come and follow me. And depending on the translation that you read, it says the man walked away sad because he had great wealth. And here's what I've said. I've said it maybe hundreds of times now in my ministry. I believe if the guy would have walked away 
sold everything he had, and came back to follow Jesus, he would have showed up and Jesus handed him an envelope with his money back. Because it wasn't about his money. It was about his heart. The rich young ruler proved that his foundation, his heart, was connected to his money in a way that did not leave room for full devotion to Jesus Christ. And the question for all of us is, do we have that same heart? Is our money our foundation? If so, it's a sandcastle. Here's a, th- here's a fourth one. Politics. Politics. If you've attended here for any length of time, you know this about me. I wanted to be president of the United States when I was young. I mean, really young. Like, very, like, I had a lot more hair at that point, right? A guy with this hairline can't win. We all know that. I did. I, you know, when I was 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, they asked you, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? I was like, doctor, astronaut, fireman. I was like, I'd like to be the 47th president of the United States. I mean, like, it was annoying. I get it. I know. But I really did in my heart. Like, I loved politics. I loved government. I loved history. And so for me, like, it was just, it came out of a sincere desire to help people. And I'm not really sure that's what that office is about anymore. I stay up every single election night, local, national, and watch the election returns. I love it. I vote every single time I have the ability to vote. I vote. I participate. I believe we should, all of us. I believe we're citizens. We should honor those who gave their lives to provide us with that right. I vote. I participate as, as much as I possibly can. But hear my heart. Politics is a man-made system, and nothing that is man-made will last. It will all fall away. Every single thing that I read in Scripture says that the kingdoms of earth are fleeting. They, are, they will pass away that kings and kingdoms will all pass away, right? But the only thing that will endure is the word of God and the truth of God's word. Those are the only things that will last. If politics is our foundation, if we get so worked up based on one candidate or one platform or one party, we are buying into man-made systems. Like if it disrupts our peace, if it makes us anxious, if it scares us to death, we have to evaluate why do we allow it to do that to us? Because we are citizens of heaven first. And all of these various things will pass away. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. If not life more than food and the body more than clothing, look at the birds of the air that neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to this span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. A lot of of our political systems have become, how can we scare you enough about the other folks to raise money for our efforts? That's a pretty broad brush, I get it. But the reality is, fear and anxiety and worry around these issues are not of the kingdom of God. 
And anything that creates fear and worry and anxiety around these issues causes me to check my heart and evaluate my heart. And every time I get disrupted in my peace, it's like, oh man, I'm so, I got to come back and go, but seek first the kingdom of God. The reason that anxiousness is on the rise related to some of the things that we face in the world is because we're looking to earthly kings to solve problems that aren't theirs to solve. It's a spiritual issue. And we're looking to man-made systems to solve them. Two other quick ones, sandcastles, relationships. And we just told you we want you in relationships. We don't want you just in random come-and-go friendships. We want you in community, doing life together. Because what we know is that relationships by themselves will not save you. They will let you down. People can strengthen your life, but they cannot save your life by themselves. And so when we talk about community here, we want it to be a complement to what God is doing in your heart and in your life and not the foundation of your life. It is a sandcastle and it will pass away. When the hard times come, here's what you will find. You'll truly find out in that moment who your community is who those true friends are. Because when the hard times come, there's a lot of folks that use that moment to hit the door. Relationships won't save you. And lastly, other people's faith. Other people's faith. We're Generations Church. We believe that faith should be personalized. It should be your own relationship with Jesus Christ and then passed on to others, passed on to the next generation. And so we believe that it should be personal. You and I cannot live on someone else's faith. Mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, next door neighbor, the small group leader that leads our, like, you can't live on someone else's faith. You, you can't survive on what someone else has eaten. Does that make sense? Like, you've got to take God's word and devour it for yourself. It's got to be something that you possess personally. Other people's faith will not sustain you, no matter how strong their faith is. They can pray for you. They can believe in you. They can challenge you and call you higher. But until you personalize your own faith, when the storms come, it's a sandcastle and it will fall away. So it's like, oh man, I'm so glad I came today. How uplifting has this been, right? Those are some sandcastles. Those are just pieces of sand. You'll take these home with you today these little vials of sand that you can take and put in front of you and maybe take it out like I did and make a mess and just, just look at it and go, these won't sustain me. These won't keep me. What are the idols in my life? How much do I depend on money for my salvation? How much do I allow politics to control? How much is my human effort where I look to in times of trouble? And all of the other pieces, maybe you have some of your own sandcastles that you've constructed. But what are those bedrock things? Where do we build our lives in ways that will sustain us? I think you could probably unpack it about 12 different ways. I'm going to give you two. The first is biblical truth. Not lowercase t, whatever truth is truth in that moment. The absolute, undeniable biblical truth that we hold in our hands. We're going to talk about this in week four of this series, and I encourage you to be here and bring somebody with you that has questions about the Bible. Biblical truth will sustain you. And I know sometimes it's like, well, I don't understand. I don't know. When I read it, I can't really make sense of it. And here's what I would say to you. Don't, don't miss the obvious 
amidst all of the obscure. There are some obvious truths of Scripture. Jesus loves you. Jesus came and lived a blameless, sinless life to die on your behalf on a cross because we had to pay a price for our sin. God is love. It cannot be separated. It is his character. It is his nature. But God is just. He must judge and punish sin. There are some truths of Scripture. He's close to the brokenhearted. When you're brokenhearted, that may be the moment he is the closest to you. You feel his presence more than you do at any other moment in your life. He will never leave us nor forsake us. I'm I'm quoting biblical truth that will sustain us in moments of storm because the storms will come. Where are we looking when it does? I come back to the truth. If it's the only time I've ever picked up my Bible, it can be enough, but why would I walk into battle unprepared? I should be looking to God's word on a regular basis. We created these soap guides, scripture, observation, application, and prayer to give you a daily reading, one chapter per day. Most days it will take you less than three minutes to read God's word and you're like, well, I read it and I didn't understand it. Well, then read tomorrow's and then read the next day's. I've been reading a book, I've been rereading a book by Pastor Mark Batterson called Win the Day. And he talks about habits. He talks about the challenge sometimes and be like, hey, I wanna lose 50 pounds this year. Well, 50 pounds is hard, but can you lose the first pound? And then the second, it's like, hey, I want to I read the Bible every single day for 30 days. Well, that seems a little overwhelming if you've never read the Bible three days in a row. So he reframes it by asking this question. Can you read the Bible today? Can you just read it today? I think most of us would say yes. I can read it today. And then you wake up tomorrow and you say, can I read the Bible today? And you read the Bible today. Whatever it is that you're setting your heart and your mind to, like just win that day. But as it relates to bedrock, foundational pieces of our lives, we must root our lives on biblical truth. The world would try to convince us that all truth is truth, and that is not true. There are some absolutes in this world, and I believe we find most all of those things right here in the pages of Scripture We build our lives there. We won't be disappointed when the storms come. The second thing that I see that's a bedrock foundation for our lives is a growing personal relationship with Jesus. It starts with a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And here's what my pastor taught me about 10 years ago. He said, every one of us has a Jesus story. And if you don't have a Jesus story yet, you're a Jesus story in the making. That's where we're all at. You can't live on someone else's faith. You gotta have faith for yourself. And so you and I have to have a growing personal relationship with Jesus. You're like, well, I prayed a sinner's prayer. Praise the Lord. We celebrate with heaven for that decision. But that prayer was the moment of salvation. What are you doing beyond that? Not to save you. That's already been taken care of. But to be prepared for the storms that we face and the things that come at us. What are we doing to prepare our lives to live on purpose because we were created on purpose for a purpose? Like, what are we doing with our lives? If getting you to heaven was the only thing that mattered, the moment you said, Jesus, I need you in my heart, he'd have taken you straight up. So he left us here for what purpose? To live here on purpose. So what are we doing with our lives every single day? We gotta live like it matters because it does. He left us here to do something with our lives. 
He trusts you to be a part of the mission, to be a part of the team, to live on purpose. So like, what do we do? We gotta have a personal relationship with God. The same story that we just read in Matthew is also spelled out in Luke chapter six, verses 46 through 49. And that passage starts with this phrase. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Can I sum up what I think Jesus is saying right here? What good is truth if you don't apply it? If you hear it, but you don't obey, did you really hear it? It doesn't really matter if you know what a rock looks like and you still build your house on the sand. It doesn't matter if your neighbor's house is built on a rock and you still build your house on the sand. Storms will come. That's not being kind of gloom and doom here. This is just saying like, you gotta know that in this world, we're gonna face some things. And what will we do when it comes? We've gotta hear and obey. Hear the truth, do the truth. This has been true in my life. I bet it would be true in yours. Growth often looks a lot like obedience. Growth often looks a lot like obedience. Matthew chapter five says that the sun shines on the evil and the good. It says that it rains on the just and the unjust. We live in a sinful and fallen world. You and I are not exempt from storms and trouble. The only differentiator is this reality in John chapter 16, verse 33, where Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. When the storms come and try to disrupt your peace, you and I can rest assured, we can sleep soundly because our life is built upon the firm foundation that we sang about, of the truth of God's word, the growing personal relationship we have with him. And some of you have walked that out. You've walked through some days of trouble and heartache. You know what it feels like to cry yourself to sleep because of the storms. Some of it was your fault, maybe. It was consequences for your own actions and behavior. And sometimes it was, it was something outside your control and it just came at you. You know what it feels like. Some of you, 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 you've navigated some days that you were convinced all day long you couldn't make it to the end of that day. You weren't sure the sun was gonna come up tomorrow. And the only thing that sustained you was God. It's the only thing that helped you make it through. You, you, you tried everything else. It was hard work and you've learned all the things and you put your head down and you tried to make it happen through your own efforts and you had all the money in the bank that you could possibly need, but that wasn't the answer. And you voted for the right people, but that wasn't the answer. In that moment, all the various idols that you had constructed, that we've constructed, they didn't help you then. The only thing that sustained you on that night was the bedrock foundation that what we said a minute ago was true. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I remember when I was a little boy, I was taught a song. I've asked Pastor Connor to sing that song for us this morning, just as a reminder. Maybe some of you know it. If you do, you can sing it loud to help those that don't. But before we pray, I just want us to sing these words and hear these words as a great reminder of who he is and what we are called to do as we hear and obey. 
And maybe you sing it. Maybe you close your eyes. Maybe you lift your hands. But whatever it is, I encourage you in this moment to just take a moment of reflection. What is my life built upon? you just to bow your head, close your eyes. Nobody's looking around right now. Just a moment of reflection between you and the Lord. Just this reminder that there's a lot of good things in this life, but ultimately none of those things will save you. That when the storms come, the only things that will endure are the truth of God's word and our relationship with him. If today you sit here and you say, Pastor Jeremy, I'm not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I've heard about it. I've seen it. I'm here because I kind of know what it looks like. Maybe at some point in my life, I thought that's what I was trying to chase after and be about. But I, I know right today, I'm not. I've not built my life on the truth of God's word. And I want that to change right now. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Just lift your hand. Thank you so much. Several hands today. Thank you so much. If you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I, I think my life's built on the rock, but man, I gotta be honest, there's some of those sandcastles you're talking about, man. I, I gravitate towards those things pretty regularly. And I wanna make sure that they never get control of my heart and my life. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? A lot of us today, a lot of us. Tons of us, tons of hands, tons of hands. God, I thank you today for the opportunity to gather in this place. I thank you for the chance to be reminded that we are called to hear and obey. And the very best of my ability, I have tried to allow us to hear your word today. And so we're all accountable now to what we've heard. God, let us obey. Start with me. Let me obey today. Let me win this day. Making sure that my life is grounded on the bedrock truths of your word and my relationship with you. God, I thank you for those who have lifted their hands today to say, I need to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. God, we celebrate with heaven for that decision that was made. It is enough for salvation. There is nothing else required. 
So God, we thank you for their awareness and their willingness to respond to you. God, we thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ that's more than enough. And God, now we pray for all of us that lifted our hands to say, there's some of those sandcastles that I, I tend to put my hope in from time to time. I build parts of my life on those things. God, would you help us to constantly come back to who you are, the truth of your word, and our personal relationship with you. And God, we thank you for this moment, cement it in our heart. When we leave today and we take this vial of sand with us, let us be reminded all week long of what we shouldn't use to build our lives with. And God, we thank you for those reminders in advance of them coming. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.